What does milking the Gentiles mean? Next on Polygamy, what love is this? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Polygamy groups have a philosophy of taking handouts from the government. (laughs) Many of them call it bleeding the beast. (laughs) The government, of course, being the beast. However, the idea did not originate with today's polygamy groups. Believe it or not, it began with the Mormons at the time of Joseph Smith. It wasn't called bleeding the beast then. It was called milking the (laughs) Gentiles. We have... A quote. This is from the History of the Saints, or an expose of Joe Smith and Mormonism, page 278 to start with. Milking the Gentiles is a kind of vernacular term <clears throat> of the Mormons and signifies the obtaining of money or property from those who are not members of the Mormon church by humbuggery, cajoling, and false pretenses. Thus, when Joe is in want of funds for the temple, Nauvoo House, or private use, he commissions some of his satellites, instructs them, and sends them out to milk the Gentiles. The Gentiles must be milked. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have the definition of milking the Gentiles. When Mormonism was invented, they adopted the idea that they were the true Israelites and everyone else were Gentiles. So milking the Gentiles was the idea that God will not hold it as a sin against the Mormon people if they take away from those who are not Mormon or the Gentiles. And so they did. We have another quote. <laughs> yeah, the logic here is great, but this is from <laughs> Fanny, Stenhouse book, Benny, Fanny Stenhouse's book, Tell It All. The Mormons, at all times an industrious people, were in one sense successful and prosperous. The morality, however, of some of of the chief leading men was, to say the least, very questionable. It was openly argued that the silver and gold were the Lord's, and so were the cattle on a thousand hills. The scripture says that God has given his people all things richly to enjoy. The saints were the people of God. He had them given had given them all the wealth and substance of the earth, and therefore it was no sin for them to help themselves. But they were but taking their own. (laughs) To overreach or defraud their enemies was facetiously called by the Mormons, milking the Gentiles. Now, of course, these beliefs aren't true (laughs) (laughs) of all that they say, (laughs) but that is their logic, like you said. And there are many stories written of that day describing the violence in which the Mormons and the non-Mormons alike mistreated each other. The early Mormons were persecuted, but most of it was because they were breaking the laws, and many of their doctrines were frightening to the people, doctrines like polygamy, and also their habit of milking the Gentiles. We have another quote. From the Centennial History of Missouri. A further complaint of the Gentiles was that there was some lawless men claiming to be Mormons who acted on the belief that the Lord had given the earth and the fullness thereof to his people. They did little work, prowled about the scattered settlements, and helped themselves at corn cribs and hog lots of those who were not of their faith. 
This they called milking the Gentiles. So we've got this from three different sources now, or yeah. three different separate, and there's many, many more than sure. that, of course. Now, much of the early Mormon persecution was created by themselves against themselves because of their own behavior and doctrines. Now, when I was a child growing up in the Kingston group, their philosophy was, do not take handouts from the government. We'll take care of our own. That's mm. what the commune part of it was. However, as time went by and the government demanded more and more income and property tax from the polygamists as well as taxes on their business profits. They changed their thinking and decided that since the government was taking so much of their money in tax dollars, they could get some of it back by putting all of their plural wives and large families on government and state welfare programs. Mm. Their thinking is that no one has the right to take their consecrated money. It belongs to the group, therefore it belongs to God. Polygamy groups have built millions from the government. They take advantage of all the government handouts that they can collect, legally or illegally. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Many of them ignore child labor laws along with laws forbidding bigamy. And as someone recently said, the best place in the country to pull this off <laughs> is in Utah. Yeah. It is their form of milking the Gentiles. In 2009, several ex-FLDS members testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee that bleeding the beast is a doctrine that encourages members to apply for every possible type of government assistance that is available. In September of 2003, The Courier, a Prescott, Arizona newspaper, published an article detailing how much polygamy groups cost taxpayers in Arizona, <coughs> and much of the costs are because of their doctrine of bleeding the beast, which in reality is taking money that we taxpayers pay in taxes. We quote, Even though a man may have five wives and 40 kids, the state considers most of them to be in single parent families because there's only one legal marriage. However, that's immaterial according to state and federal guidelines. What matters is the number of people living together. So they're usually eligible for food stamps, child care and medical care at government expense. There you go. Wow. Now, in the real world, the government is funded by us. us. <laughs> so we are paying their expenses. We are financing the polygamists to do what they do. I know of polygamous wives who have applied for welfare and lied about almost everything on their application. They lie about who the father of their ch children is. They lie about their real name. They make up their own married name and, and, and who their husband is supposed to be. Some of them even say they don't know who the father of their children is. At least one plural wife told them that there was a different father for each of her children. Oh All of that was not true. Of course, this is part of their philosophy of lying for the Lord. Now, I have no idea why they think it's okay to break so many of the Ten Commandments and say that it's to protect the Lord's work here on earth. Simple logic cannot allow for the idea that God condones deceit, lies, and theft of government resources. We continue with a quote from the article in The Courier. The following numbers are estimates based on year-old statistics, and they're all rising rapidly. In Arizona, program provides most of the medical insurance for residents in Colorado City. Last year, more than 4,000 residents were enrolled, costing the state about $8 million a year. 
About half of the residents there receive food stamps, compared to 5% statewide. This costs the state and federal governments over $3 million a year for those in Arizona. Five years ago, there were no Colorado City children getting child care assistance. But last year, there were about 200, which cost the state another $600,000. Wow. Now, this is Arizona. And of course, this was an article written in 2003. Right. So it's a few years old. But still, it's accurate numbers for the time. And please keep in mind that these figures are the taxpayers' funding of the lifestyle of polygamous, and polygamy is against the law in all 50 <laughs> states. The Courier also said this about Tom Green <laughs> and his money. <laughs> in the well-publicized case of Tom Green and his five wives in Utah, the state documented that the Green family received 647000 between 18... 1989 and 1999, then they estimated that the grand total was more than a million just for one family. Wow, that's money, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Now, Tom Green cost us, uh, as taxpayers, more than a million dollars. We provided the money for his polygamist activities, including his marrying his 13-year-old stepdaughter. That's both pedophile and incest. <laughs> yeah. The Courier newspaper article wrapped up their story with this. The various FLDS prophets justify taking tax money like this by saying that it is really coming from the Lord. Fundamentalists call fleecing the government bleeding the beast and regard it as a virtuous act. It is the Lord's way of using the system to take to take care of his chosen people. Actually, bleeding the beast goes back 160 years to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Young was about to be arrested in connection with it in Illinois in 1846, and thus forced the LDS to leave Nauvoo early in midwinter, causing great hardship. Now that I'd like to investigate a little further because I didn't know that I hadn't before. Heard that, one either. that was one of the. I knew there was reasons that he scrambled to, to get, get out, out of there, but I didn't know this was one no, of the reasons. So it'd be interesting to look that up uh, further and, and maybe even get enough information to do a show about yeah. it, at least part of a show. Of course, many of us are still recoiling from the $12 million food stamp fraud that was pulled off recently by the FLDS with only a slap on the wrist and a required training class about how to use food stamps properly. But it's our tax dollars. And we should care more about those who fraudulently misuse tax programs. But more importantly, in Bleeding the Beast, they are claiming things about God that just isn't true. People leave these false religions and are forever burned against God because they've been so deceived by people who claim they know God, but their actions prove differently. God is good, and He only does good things, and He never commands illegal behavior from His people. In fact, to His people, He said this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 10 and 11, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. <laughs> well, okay. And way back in ancient Israel, when God gave instructions to his people, he gave the law of gleaning. Poor people could glean the fields and the orchards free of charge, but they had to do the work to get the food the free food. Poor people and those who cannot supply their own needs should be eligible for assistance. There's no question about that. Right. 
But God never gave instructions that capable people should just take from others. In fact, he said, if you don't work for it, you don't have the right to eat it. And as we finish this topic, we need to say that this is a leadership issue in polygamy groups, not membership. The members just do what the leaders tell them to do. That's true. And now a new topic. In the news a few weeks ago, there was an article in the Salt Lake Tribune. It was on October 12th of 2017, and the headline said this, How does a three-year-old get left in a cornfield overnight? <laughs> and that's a very good question. I remember this. Yeah, it was just recently. The answer is simple if that three-year-old is, is a child in a polygamous family. The father's name is Robert. Robert and his wife have 14 children. And for a polygamous family, 14 or more children is normal. It's not unusual, even more than that. And the mother took 11 of the kids on an outing in the corn maze on Columbus Day. Uh, now, her sister, or maybe it was her sister wife, also joined them and brought some of her children. These families were transported in multiple vehicles. Now, the, the father, Robert, said that there were several blonde-haired boys in this group of children, and many of them were of similar size. Well, that happens in polygamous yeah, families as well. Uh, and, of course, that would make it easier to forget at least one of the children in an outing like this. In a multiple confusion of events as they prepared to leave the corn maze, one three-year-old boy, a uh, blonde-headed boy, was left behind. Now, the mom said that she thought he was in the car with her, but the father said he must have jumped out. They drove the cars full of children to their home in West Jordan, and they watched a movie. Some of the kids fell asleep, and the other mother left with her children, and still no one realized a child was missing. Now, as we tell the story, we also want our, our viewers to understand we are not criticizing um, the, the, that it's only polygamous families who lose right. children, because th that can happen in any family. In but <laughs> in this situation, is more likely to happen because of the ages, the, the number of kids, and they look so much alike. But anyway, we quote from the article in the Salt Lake Tribune. The outing and the movie were diversions from the family's routine, Robert said. Family members <laughs> who would have normally missed the three-year-old didn't notice he was gone. Robert worked until 9.30 p.m. Also, Robert said the boy doesn't always sleep in his own bed. He often sleeps <laughs> with an older sibling. West Jordan Police Sergeant Joe Monson said a woman visiting the corn maze found the three-year-old about 7.30 p.m. Monday. Police were called. When no one could find the parents, the Utah Division of Child and Family Services took the boy overnight. And, and, and as I'll mention as we go on to this again, that there's no mention of the trauma that this poor child, yeah. you know, yeah. 7.30 yeah. at night, they are gone, they can't find them, and I'm sure he must have been in some kind of distress. The next morning, <coughs> the mother noticed and reported that the boy was missing. Now, Robert, the father, said that she was in a panic when she discovered her son wasn't there, and I'm sure she would have been. But before police officers started to uh, search for the missing boy, they checked with headquarters, and sure enough, a case of missing child had shown up, and this was the, the <laughs> little boy. Actually, he had been found the night before, like the article says, wandering around in the corn maze. He was taken... Uh, to a safe place to stay for the night by the Division of Child and Family Services, and the next day he was returned to his family unharmed.
the father, Robert, asked that his last name not be used. He admitted that he was a plural family, but he said that that doesn't have anything to do with why his son was left behind. There were a lot of children to keep track of. And again, we realize that that can happen in any kind of a family, but this one is interesting, we think. And of course, he was glad that people were there to help, and of course, so are we. We have another quote. It's nice that there were people there that were able to help. The first outcome that we want is for him to be okay and safe. It was an oversight that we learned a, a lot from, Robert added. And we hope they did. Yeah. We hope they'll, they'll be more concerned in the future. And I won't reveal Robert's last name to honor his desire not to be unmasked, but his family is a polygamous family and are from the Kingston Polygamy mm. Group. Now, when a man has a multiple family, or multiple families, I should say, uh, and look alike children, <laughs> some of many the same age and same size, I mean, right. you, you, a man, a, a polygamous man can have three or four wives that are pregnant at the same time. So he's going to have three kids that are, you know, Similar within age. a year of, in, of age. And, and this can happen. Um, losing a child in a crowd of siblings is not unusual. And, and and this is a point I really want to make here. Losing a child in a crowd of children happens a lot in polygamous family. Uh, and that can be devastating emotionally because you are, you're just one of a, of a, a mass of, of kids, not individual. You're, you're really not looked at as much it's, as it's an so unique. individual yeah. worth. Um, but and, and as this incident proves, it's easy for the child to also get misplaced. Now, there has been no mention, at least in any of the news articles I've read about the incident, of what trauma the three-year-old uh, must have experienced when he realized his family had left him behind and didn't come back for him. And there had to have been some, some kind. Oh, but there were many comments on the <clears throat> webpage following the story, and we thought we would share some of them uh, with you. Now... <laughs> Many comments that we're not going to use were from people who do not believe it's okay to be anti-polygamy. Um, they call people who are anti-polygamy some very rude names, and of course, everyone's a bigot that's anti-polygamy. Now, we're not, like I say, we're not quoting those remarks, but we are <laughs> quoting some of the others, and yeah, here are some of them. A little tongue-in-cheek, some of these. Uh -huh. Hey, it's okay. It's just one kid out of 20. <clears throat> we can always just make another one. Don't worry about it. Polygamy is such a wonderful world to live in. <laughs> okay, and that's tongue-in-cheek, obviously. And the next comment, I think, <coughs> shows some extreme educated insight. The degradation of humanity by polygamy has little to do with religion. Women have no negotiating power, thus reduced to bickering slaves, poverty, wife-beating, child marriages, disillusion of inheritances, Inbreeding, xenophobia, required IQs, rule by tyranny, expelling boys, and cheating outsiders are unavoidable, unavoidable consequences of polygamous societies. And, and again, we want to state that this is somebody else's letter, not ours, and it was from the Tribune article that we have just covered. Um, and not everybody in polygamy groups are wife beaters and... and um, uh, reduced IQ, IQs. Obviously, that's not the case. But 
it's more the case in polygamy groups yeah. than it is in regular society. It definitely is that, and studies have shown that. We, in fact, we did a series of shows on the harms of polygamy. I think we did yeah. three or four in the series that brought about all of these, brought out all of these things that were more likely to happen, uh, negative group. things in a polygamy yeah. group than in monogamy. So we're not just as bigoted pointing out harms of polygamy without making mention of all that. Now, the next one is also a comment that we <laughs> wholeheartedly have to agree with. And put a little smile on our face. <laughs> Criticism is not the same as bigotry. I'm a parent and I make mistakes. All parents do. But the way this story was written, it sounded more like they were describing a lost puppy. These parents deserve, deserve criticism. Forgetting about, forgetting about your three-year-old child and leaving them alone overnight could easily result in the child's death. I'm not a fan of polygamy, and it's not because I'm a bigot or care about their religion. I don't like it because it's selfish and it harms children. Where was the dad? Probably out on a date with a future wife. <laughs> and we don't know the answer to that question. But again, um, it is a very serious thing. And, and again, the children. I don't mm. think people understand how many children are involved in the adult decision to practice polygamy. And, and I think that's a problem in our society, uh, especially the Mormon culture, um, who are so sensitive to the word polygamy. Um, but so many of them just say, oh, that's okay. Let adults do what they want to do. If that's the way they want to live, that's okay. But it affects the children. And there's hundreds yeah. and there's thousands of children involved in polygamy. And because there's so many, they lose their identity, right? I mean, they don't feel unique or special. And perhaps. the safety, of course, right. you know, just yeah. like we've, we've seen that here. Yeah. We, we were talking with a, a, a couple of people the other day uh, with just two men in the Kingston group. With over, They have over 600 kids between them. Oh, my goodness. Just two men. What do you think it is? And, and one man has over 30 wives. The other man has almost 20. And, and then there's other polygamy groups, other men in every polygamy group that they have these huge people. Polygamy is not dying out. It's mushrooming. You know, I mean, and, and there are all these kids that they're raising to be polygamous and to support the group like little drones, little, sure. little robots. That, that's what it's all about. Um, money, power, and sex. Remember when we did that show on <laughs> money, power, money, and, power and <laughs> prostitution? That's, that's, that's exactly right. what it was. Yeah. Now, when polygamists realize that God does not require and he does not expect or command or demand polygamy, then they can, with a clear conscience, leave polygamy and enjoy monogamy. But those who are brainwashed don't know they're brainwashed. And this culture, entire culture, is brainwashed about Joseph Smith, who is the one who came up with polygamy for salvation. And so finally, we want to share some information from a web page. The, the, the link is on the screen. It's a long, long link. Um, but it's from Times and Seasons. So you could Google timesandseasons.org and uh, find the article about this. But it's about <clears throat> Doctrine and Covenants, Section 132, which teaches that a woman's purpose for life is to be given to a man. It teaches that God commands men to marry multiple women without telling the first wife that God will not bother to tell the woman about it directly and the man makes the decision to whom and when she will be given away. 
doctrine and now we were raised on this this is not new stuff to me it's mm -hmm. uh, it's what we were raised with uh, doctrine and covenants 132 teaches that God does not speak to women about matters of supreme importance to the woman well that's not individual worth that's chattel or ownership by a woman or by a human being of another human being and that was Joseph Smith's polygamy we quote a response you know, in, in this article, I reject many of the verses in Doctrine and Covenants 132 because, one, women should not be considered as chattel, and two, threatening someone with destruction, even though, even, I'm sorry, if they don't comply with a demand is duress or coercion. One shouldn't coerce another adult to accept something. Moreover, if I understand history right, Emma never really accepted polygamy, and it looks like she avoided destruction. So, <laughs> number three, threatening someone with destruction is actually illegal. Several times in Doctrine and Covenants 132, it states, will be destroyed, leaving it unclear who the destroyer is, but a prosecutor could probably put together a case that the Lord's servant is a likely candidate to go about destroying people. I'd like to see someone prosecuted for saying what is said in Doctrine and Covenants 132. Number four, threatening one's spouse with destruction is bad. And five, threatening someone with destruction in order to gain sexual favors is at least assault. <laughs> well, that's, that's a, a very good critique of section 132, at least for a few verses in that passage. I don't know how the Mormons can still say that's only about sealing into eternal marriage because there's so much yeah, more in it. There's so much. Someone made the comment that certain verses in Doctrine and Covenants 132 are basically a 19th century manual on how to sexually exploit women by appealing to their faith in God, and if that doesn't work, <laughs> using threats of physical violence. That's what it is. Put it another way, if someone stood up in your church and testified that he knew these verses in section 132 are from God, wouldn't it scare you to allow your daughter to go into his home? Only a predator on the prowl for sex would write such things. And what is baffling is that people believe it and give their young daughters to the pedophiles. Think about that. Mm -hmm. A little more from the article. Depression among women in the LDS Church is exponentially higher than in women of other religions. The Church must face the fact that polygamy is an unacceptable lifestyle that demeans and demoralized women. Clearly, Jesus never condoned it, and it was an aberrant lifestyle choice for too many men in early Church history. And that is so true. We can judge section 132, especially verses 51 through 65, on its own merits and reject it outright. There is no reason for anyone to defend the rhetoric in that passage. It is morally repugnant to manipulate a person's faith in God to coerce her into a polygamous marriage. It's wrong. It was wrong in 1831. It was wrong in 1843. And it's wrong today. And Enough said. that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truth. That's the oh, truth. it's just amazing. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just so surprised that we, like you say, that one section 132 is still in the Doctrine and Covenants, and it says so much more than just uh, mm -hmm. celestial kingdom stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, once again, I thank yeah. you. Thank you. My for, pleasure. For being here and for sorry about the out. dry cough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get it too. <laughs> You know, we are frequently labeled as being extremely bigoted anti-polygamous, but we reject that label. We are anti-polygamy, 
and there's a big difference. I know many polygamists who are sweet and kind people. They've been fed false doctrine from the cradle, and their minds cannot wrap around different ideas. But discussing what happens in polygamy groups, revealing their illegal and abusive practices, talking about their maltreatment of children and females and their religious abuses is not bigotry. It's telling the truth. Com uh, comparing their beliefs with bib biblical teachings is not bigotry, especially since they use the Bible to condone their behavior. What we encourage them all to do is check out the facts and broaden their horizons. Discover if what they've been taught could honestly have come from a good God, and they'll find out it didn't. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.